Hey, you. It's RJ from Untapped Keg. I would love it if you would come by and join our new community. It is at untappedkeg.com slash community. And when you get there, if you could fill out the poll, let me know a little bit about you. Let me know how long you've been sober, how long you've been in recovery. Um, And then I really want to know your favorite story. And it's a fun little icebreaker. And there's been a couple of people that have answered. And um, you can read what mine is. And that is, uh, you know, it's, it's actually from a video game, Mass Effect, and it's a trilogy. And I kind of explained in detail kind of what I took from it. And it really did touch how life is not black and white. It's gray. And like, that is what I connected with so much throughout that game. Um, And then the last thing, last thing I want you to do is go there because you can be a part of the show. Do you want to hear yourself on the show? I'm going to include somebody who goes there to record a mantra that they say to themselves a little bit of a a saying that keeps you going a um you know a daily a daily motivation a daily letting yourself know that you're okay and i'm going to start including those in the show and it'll be you and it'll be at untappedkeg.com slash community you can sign up anonymously if you don't want your name read let me know i will not read your name i can change your voice We can figure it out. If you just want me to read it, if you just want me to read it, send it to me through untapskeg.com slash community. I look forward to connecting with you over there. I love you. The main thing I tell myself is that no matter how difficult things may be in the moment, no matter how overwhelmed I might be feeling, is that as long as I make the next right choice, right? The next right choice over the next five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour then I'm going to be okay. Because oftentimes I find that, you know, if I allow myself to start ruminating on things that might happen later on today or tomorrow or the next day or next week or next month, then things become so overwhelming. And that just seems like it's too much to handle. And that's when my addictive brain wants to really try to take over. Right. So if I just stay in the moment, tell myself, just get through the next five minutes, make the next right choice. And I continue to do that over the course of a day and I make it through that day, chances are I'm going to be just fine. You guys have a blessed day. We've always, our family, especially with my mom, has always been big on pictures, uh, which is why she pressed so much for us to take the family picture. I've always been big yeah. on pictures. And so there are a couple uh, photo albums on his coffee table. So I pick up this photo album and I'm looking through it and it's pictures of him and my mom doing like all kind of stuff and all kind of spaces and places they've been. And I'm like, when did you guys do this? You know what I mean? Like, when did That's you come here? You know? And so in the talking with him, I realized that God had allowed him to finally beat this thing in enough time where he had years with my mom. Sobriety is scary. That's why Untapped Keg explores different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you know you are not alone. Hopefully, you can find something you can implement into your own life. Sobriety and mental health are topics that often are uncomfortable and complex. We do not shy away from any conversation. But you should know we try to be respectful. But there's always room to learn and grow. Everyone is welcome here as you are 
and you will be respected. We are not medical professionals and do not give medical advice. Please seek medical care if you need it. Now let's get to the show. Hello. Thank you for tapping into Untapped Keg podcast where we explore the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you can take something from a podcast and implement it into your own lives because we believe there's only one right way to sobriety and that's the way that works for you. I am your host, RJ Zimmerman, and I have the pleasure of being here tonight with author, speaker, and host of the Deal to Heal podcast with Ernest James. Ernest James, how are you doing, sir? I am good. I am good, RJ. Thank you very much for having me. This is this is gonna be fun because you so I was on your podcast a few weeks ago and we had a really good conversation and it just kept going. And then it's like, you know what? I think that we could take this conversation and put it into untapped keg, and I'd love to have you on. And you're gracious enough to say, Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. So for those who don't know Ernest James, why don't you give us the elevator pitch on who you are and what you do? Uh, so I'm Ernest James, podcaster, speaker, and author is, is how I'm introducing myself these days. I am coming up on, uh, at the time of this recording, coming up on a year of podcasting. Um, so, But at my core, I'm just a person who loves people and loves to help people, which is the premise of my whole podcast. Um, the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast is helping two people to deal, heal, and fulfill to deal with their problems, to heal with the, from the pain, and to fulfill their purpose. And so that's my whole thing. Um, I've been able to, uh, in my life, I've been a uh, pastor, a minister, uh, like I said, author, mentor, uh, fatherless daughter advocate, just a whole world around things. But at the core, like I said, uh, it's always something that's helping people because I'm just a person that, that loves to help people. And so um, I started the podcast so that I can reach out uh, or give out, you know, words of encouragement that I knew from the pain that I felt um, in different areas of my life. But then also to reach out to people like yourself who has had pain and experience and overcome uh, in their own journey. You know, and I always say I have not experienced everything and neither do I want to. (laughs) (laughs) So I I look for people who have been through some things and have come out on the other side and is willing to share that story and have that same uh, the same heart and the same mindset that I have to, you know, help somebody else. And so that's who I am. I'm just a servant at heart. So. I love that. I love that. Cause I mean that, you know, your message is very similar to what I do here and uh, kind of why untapped keg started. So like I resonate with that so much and you can tell too, by your passion and where it comes from that it is genuinely from the heart and it, it makes you very magnetic. And I appreciate that. Um, so Ernest, what the reason that, uh, you're here tonight is to talk about your family actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that talk about somebody who has watched a family member fall into substance use. And then you having successfully navigated 
not falling into that, but also seeing the pitfalls and knowing it. Um, so do you want to kind of give us an intro into who it is in your family? And then, um, you know, just uh, some background with what you saw and then how, how, you know, it affected, uh, the way that you approach the world. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, first let me, uh, pretense this by saying that this is my viewpoint as an adult yep. back on the experiences that I had as a child. Right. Um, and this is in my words. So my father was the person who, uh, was uh had an addiction to alcohol right uh so that was my father um so these are this is my interpretation of what he was going through now this yeah. is not what he told me but this is as an adult processing you know what i've lived through and what i've learned um that this is where i believe or how i explain some of the, the things that he dealt with that took him uh that way so uh going back uh, far as far as I can remember, <clears throat> my dad always drank, um, not necessarily an alcoholic, but he drank uh, to the point that his nickname for some of his friends growing up was fish, you know, because it was like you drink like a fish. You yeah. know, so that was his nickname in, in some circles, not to everybody, but his closest friends, you know, referred to him as, as fish at times. Um, so. That didn't play out into uh, my uh, reality into years later. Um, so my dad come from a, a proud family, hardworking. I think my grandmother, I think my grandmother was a nurse. Um, my grandfather worked for um, Illinois Bell at the time, which turned into Ameritech uh, years later. Um, and so he grew up in this family, uh, very strong ideals and, and everything and the other children push college everybody going to college you know and he grew up that was his household growing mm -hmm. up uh he also went to college he also went to uh the air force um was a mechanic as far back as i can remember he was a jet mechanic in the service you know and so that's who he was um later on he would grow he would marry my mom um my mom and my dad literally lived across the street from each other Right. Oh, wow. My, my grandmother, on my mom's side lived on one side of the street. My grandmother, and my father's side lived directly across the street. Um, my dad and my uncle was best friends. And so over the years, you know, him and my mom, you know, fell in love and blah, blah, you know, that whole thing. And so they got married and started their family. Um, my dad would go to the service and come back. And then he himself would begin working for uh, Illinois Bill. Um, and so we lived a nice, comfortable, higher middle class lifestyle. You know, we had the big house, we had the cars, we had the camper that we go, you know, take trips in the summer, you know, that whole thing, you know, and life was good. Um, we, or they, my mom and dad, decided to move uh, from Illinois, we're in Illinois, and they decided to move from Illinois to Arizona. And we moved from Illinois to Arizona. We was down there for a couple of years. And during that time period, doing some uh, transactions and just some unrest in that time period, my uncle ended up getting killed. Um, he ended up getting shot. And this was a lot of uh, racial unrest 
at that time. Yeah. And he kind of got caught, you know, in the middle of that and okay. someone killed him. Um, and so after that happened, we moved from, you know, we moved back from Arizona. We moved back to Illinois. Well, that's when everything changed. Um, so we moved back to Illinois and my dad wants to get transferred back to Illinois bill. Mm-hmm. But they want to take him back uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why, but he was still with the company when we were in uh, Arizona. He just, you know, transferred. But when he came to transfer back, they wouldn't accept his transfer back for whatever reason. I don't know the details. Yeah, that's hard. That that's really hard. But <clears throat> so you go from this man who uh, at this point, my baby brother was born. Uh, my baby, baby brother is born the last child. So it's nine of us. So you got this husband, wife, nine kids. And you go from living this lifestyle where you're prospering and you're making money, you're everybody's mm-hmm. comfortable, to you coming back to nothing. And my grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side had this small ranch, three-bedroom house. And so you have a husband and wife and nine kids in one bedroom. And so that kind of started or regenerated to, you know, like I said, he was always a drinker, you know, but that's when it really kicked in. Yeah. When that time period. And so you have your best friend from childhood gets killed. Mm -hmm. You come back home. You can't, get the job that you spent the last however many years working. So now you're unemployed. Now you can't provide for your family like you used to. And not only it's not just you, but it's you, your wife and your nine kids. And now you all in one bedroom in your mom's house. Right. And so again, this is my interpretation of, you know, my dad, what he was going through at that time and dealing with, you know, of course, going into a kind of depression. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it was even days that, you know, which we figured out later, we, you know, he would be out in his garage and we know there's nobody in there but him, but he's having a whole conversation, you know, and it's like, who are you talking to? There's nobody there. But over time and listening to those conversations and, you know, as we got older, it's like, oh, he's having conversations with my uncle. You know what I mean? Who's mm-hmm. not there? Yeah. But he's having these kind of, you know, these long conversations. Yeah. So this went on for years, you know. And so just growing up and, and watching my dad struggle, you know, with alcohol addiction, um, it had an effect on me where I'm like, you know what? I'm not touching anything that even looks like addiction, you know, no cigarettes no alcohol, no anything. And even to the point as an adult, uh, if you remember a couple of years ago when the, the show Scandal came out. Yeah, yeah. That was a big thing and everybody was like, oh, we got to go home and watch Scandal. To me, addiction is so bad. I'm like, I'm not even watching that. Because <laughs> if you have- a sorry, dog, I don't mean to laugh about addiction. No, but no, like, but, but it's, it's, this is really my- some my true, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, if- if this show have grown adult people that will stop their real life to run home and watch mm-hmm. somebody's make-believe life, I don't want no parts of it. 
You know what I mean? Like that's too much of a hold for me. And so that's how I live my life. And still to this day, I, I live it that same way. Anything that's like a bandwagon, whether it's whatever it is, new technology, whatever. And they're like, well, yeah, like the, the Popeye's uh the spicy crisp chicken yeah, sandwich. That came, out, that came out and that was the whole big thing. Like, oh, try it. It was years before I even tried it. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't have tried it when I did try it, except I was with my girlfriend and we was at Popeye's and she was like, you never tried it? And I'm like, no. And I gave her the whole spiel. And she's like, <laughs> all right, you got to try it. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll try it. You know, but that was years after because that's just my personality. Like anything that has to do with addiction, anything where everybody just got to run and do it, I'm not doing it because I don't want anything to have control of me. Yeah. And that was kind of my mindset with it because, you know, you will hear the stories of, or the, you know, something would happen. It was like, Oh, I was drunk and that's why I did it. Oh, I was high. And that's why I did it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm too pur- purposeful with the things that I want to accomplish in my life that I can have a person, a substance or whatever that affects me so much that it mm-hmm. messes up what I'm trying to do. And then when I ask what happened, Oh, the drinking made me do it or whatever it is. I'm like, yeah, I can't, I can't have nothing like that. That's controlling me to that point. And so that was my, that kind of was my idea, you know, that came from watching my dad struggle. And then we, you know, we, I can, as we go on, I've definitely shared more of the experiences of, of that and, and watching him struggle, you know? Well, when, how old were you when you noticed that it was a struggle for him as far as the drinking? And, um, and then, like you said, you put the two and two together that he was having conversations with his brother, like, you know, was that years in between or was it like kind of one after the other? Uh, no, it was it was almost immediate. Right. Okay. So once, when we came back from Arizona, I probably was. I probably was seven or eight years old, still young, but very perceptive to be able to to pick up on. Yeah. Him. And so, you know, from years seeing my dad drink, you know, Seeing you drink all the time, you have a beer here, beer there, whatever, no problem. But now I'm seeing him come in and he's so drunk that he's passing out on the floor. You know, like he's walking in the room and he's like, boom, he's down. And we're, you know, we're kids and we're playing. So we have to cross over him, you know. So it was like a, an immediate thing, you know, to see that from a guy who drinks occasionally and still functions, still doing what he needs to do, still making yeah. it to a guy who now. Of course, again, this is me looking back as an adult now, but who now is in a position where you're dealing with depression, your best friend was murdered, you can't support your family the way you want to, you're searching for a job, and things are just not adding up all at the same time. Yeah. You know? And so now you lean back on that vice. And so that vice to him was drinking, you know, and so it was almost immediate you know, to the change. And again, like I said, I was young, but living the life of having the years of what it was before. And still, I still have memories of, of our house that we lived in, even though I was young. And I sometimes I say, I, I don't even know how I remember the stuff that I remember. Um, I was writing a book. I'm still writing it, writing a book and was talking about different things that happened, you know, uh, through my life as a child and just remembering about our house that we had and I, I gave it to one of my older sisters 
uh, to read the first chapter. And she was like, how do you remember all this stuff? Because you were so young, you know? And I was like, I don't know how I remember it, but I remember it. You know, I remember the house. I remember the fence. I remember the, the dog, you know, but I don't know how I remember, but it just, it just stuck in my head. Um, but to live that life, that mm-hmm. high middle class life and, you know, the trips and all of that to going to uh, now we're all in this one bedroom, you know, it definitely left a mark enough to be where I remember it vividly. Yeah. And I mean, that's a massive change. Like that's not something that is just like gradual. That's just, that's a whole world crashing down. And, you know, that would make an impact on everybody around because you're all feeling it. Um, How old were you when you listened to the conversation and realized who he was talking to in the garage? Uh... So those conversations became later. So we ended up moving. Uh, we did end up moving out of my grandmother's house. Right. So this was my dad's mom. Mm-hmm. So my mom's mom uh, bought a plot of land. Um, and this was a nice size plot of land, a couple of acres. So on this land, it was a house. Now, this house probably should have been torn down and demolished. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at that time, it was like, look it's a place to stay, to get us out of this one room. Mm-hmm. And so my dad went and started working on his house and he uh, fixed up the kitchen and he fixed the kitchen, the bathroom and one bedroom to where it was habitable. And him and my mom took the bedroom. The rest of us stayed in the kitchen, uh, you know, slept in the kitchen, whatever. We still had access to the rest of the house, but as far as, that was in, you know, real good shape where we could be comfortable. It was just the kitchen. And then over the years, you know, he's working, you know, fixed up the living room, the dining room, fixed up the two bedrooms. So now we had our own bedrooms, you know, so it just, but this was a, over a time period. Um, so he had the house and then that was a garage also. And again, my dad was a mechanic. So he went to what he knew. He started, you know, uh, fixing cars and stuff and, you know, people would come over so he could fix their cars and that's how we survived, you know? Um, and so it would be my teenage years, uh, early teenage years, 11, 12, I guess when I started, you know, because I'm not at this time I'm older now. Yeah. You know? and so I'm more active. We're moving around, we're learning stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be times where he need help doing something. He was like, hey, come out to the garage, help me do this, you know, put in the trance, whatever we're helping him with. So we we're around him, you know, in, in the garage and, you know, showing us stuff. And so yeah. right outside the garage, we had a basketball hoop. So we would play basketball. So we are we are around the garage anyway. And so we would have these days where we could hear him, you know, because he would go through phases. So it can be, it'd be like a phase of, could be like a month where he wouldn't drink at all. You know, just like no drink, he's getting up, he's doing whatever. But then just like that, it'll be like a month where you, by the time we wake up for school, he's already out. You know what I mean? And so during some of those times, those days, you know, we would hear him, you know, in the garage and, you know, he's in there by himself and he's having these conversations and, you know, like I said, when we started listening, uh, then we were able to find out or recognize who he was having the conversation just by his his part of the conversation, you know, listening to him like, oh, 
that's that's what it is. He's, he's having these conversations, you know, with with my uncle who was no longer here. And um, yeah, so I will, it was uh, early teen years, maybe 12, 13, when I started recognizing the the what the conversation was. And um, yeah, so about, about 17. I mean, yeah, early teens. Yeah, that's that's where, where you look back and you're like, how is it that we overlooked mental health for so long? Right. Like that's what, and I know, you know, I see looking back and seeing it kind of the same way with uh, my parents, certain cycles, like my dad quit drinking when I was five or six. Like I remember a time where he had beer, but not just one time I remember him passed out, but um, you know, we didn't talk about it and stuff like that. So like my experiences are a lot different than other people's. When did you notice that you started to adopt your nothing addictive um kind of coping strategy when did you really start to embrace that and go into that um probably around the same time going into my teenage years um i was always more mature for my age you know uh even now it's like you got an old soul okay i I am old now i know all my gray is cut off but (laughs) (laughs) i am a little older now but yeah younger you know it was always you know like you have an old soul so i always was more mature always thinking about you know my future at an early age that was already my mindset and so those early teen years and again I've seen both sides of it. You know, I've mm-hmm. lived through both sides. And so I've, I'm seeing this side of it where I know my, I know who my dad is. You know, I know the strengths that he has. I know how smart he is. I remember having conversations uh, with just other people. Um, and like the one guy was telling me, you know, like, do you know who your dad is? You know, he was like, I watched your dad, like put this car together and things that wasn't supposed to work. Like he made it work. Like he he fixed it with his hands and he made this thing that was not even designed to work that way, but mm-hmm. he made it work, you know? So I remember having those conversations. So I'm like, I see who this guy is. You know, I know who my dad is. I know who his strengths is. I know what he can do. I've seen him build this house that we're standing in yeah. from one room to literally building it out. And at my time, at that point, I didn't really recognize the depressing part of it. You know, it was more of just the drinking. And so it was like, okay, if this guy who I know is, you know, a, I don't know what you want to call a giant. I was going to say a Titan. Like he's a Titan, right? Yeah. Yeah. This warrior that I know, because I've seen him go to battle, but Mm -hmm. now this thing, whatever, you know, this addiction has broken him down when you know other things couldn't and other people couldn't but now this thing has a hold on him now to the point it's hard for him to function and that was addiction and so at a young age I'm like yeah I, I don't want no parts of it and so it's, it started early for me and I just started developing it because I remember even getting into my teenage years with my brother who was just the opposite of me so we'll we'll talk about my brother in a second but my brother and my best friend and some of our other friends, you know, when we started getting to the mid to, I would say mid, mid teenage years, going into the late teenage years, you know, as with all teenage boys, you know, 
everybody wants to get into drinking. Right. And, and so we, you know, yeah. going and, you know, and so that was always the thing because they got into it. So they started it. And so they get started and they like, hey, you know, because I'm around, you know, and it's like, hey, we're, we're drinking and whatever, come on. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And so they will always try to get me to drink. So I told them, well, look, I'll drink when I'm old enough to buy it myself. Right. And so mm-hmm. that gave me a couple of years to I, to I hit 21. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't stop. And when I turned 21, like the day I turned 21, they were all like, all right, today. Lined up today. at the door. You know? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um I did have my first drink uh when I was 21. I did uh I didn't get drunk, um, like fall down, pass out drunk, but definitely enough where I could feel it. You know, when I was walking, that oh, I yeah. was busy. and of course, it's the first time I know I was it was hard liquor, too. You know, so that didn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I was like, yeah, this is not this is not for me. Um, I did drink after that a couple of times, maybe at a couple parties or whatever. But even then, it was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm you know, I, I knew I was doing it just to fit in. And I was like, it's, it's not worth it. And so I just stopped all over again, like, no, I'm good. And so after that, it's like, no. So even yeah. now, I, I drink dinner wine. I do like wine. So I do drink dinner wine, but uh, no smoking, never smoke reefer, never smoke, you know, marijuana or any other thing. I'm just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But going back to my brother. So my brother is literally one year and 11 days younger than me. Okay. I was born May 1st of uh, 76. He was born May 11th of 77. Um, And even in appearance growing up, we were opposites. You know, uh, I'm darker skin. He was lighter skin. I had short hair. He had long hair. He let his hair grow. He had braid. (laughs) So we were like opposites on every, every, you know. And so I was like straight and narrow. And he was like, Everything the streets had to offer, that's what he wanted, you know. So he got into gangs and drugs and, you know, that whole thing. And, you know, that was just his personality, just like, I'm going this way, you know. Um, So when it came to the drinking, that was one of the things that he picked up and started drinking real early. And even now, still not to the point where it stops him from doing what he needs to do, you know, but definitely still too much. You know, um, so but it was just that dynamic of having this kind conver- similar conversation with him. And it was like, OK, I seen that and I'm like, I don't want no parts of it. Um, but he seen my dad and seeing him still as that same warrior. And more so like I want to be like him, but not just the good, but the bad, too. Yeah. No. And so he picked up a little more of the bed to get into things my dad never got into, you know, (laughs) but it was just those two dynamics of of two young boys seeing the same example and choosing to go two different ways based off that same example, Um, which, you know, happens. Yeah. I mean, it does. The things that we don't realize we're keying on and being in the same situation, it's. Uh, you know, when you look down the road, because that's all you really, that's the only time you really can look is like, wow, how, how do we do that? But, um, you know, have you, did either of them try to get help or 
try to uh, kind of limit their drinking um, or, you know, whatever they were doing or um, were they able to kick it for a little bit? Um, well, um, I want to, I'm going to say this. Uh, I don't know if, uh, the religious background or, or how much in touch, you know, um, the listeners may be religious, religiously, but I am. I yeah. And so one thing that I would say is God is amazing. And he gives us these opportunities when, because he knows our future when we don't know it. Right. Mm-hmm. So my dad, I remember days uh, after I was grown and married and, and moved out on my own, I would go visit my mom and dad. And I remember this one day in particular, and this happened, this has happened several times. I go to visit my mom. Uh, she's at the house. I'm like, hey, you know, we're visiting. And I say, well, you know, where's dad? And she's like, I don't know. He left, you know, hour or so ago or whatever. He haven't came back yet. You know, um, so, you know, I don't know. So I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting and I'm talking with my mom. And I say, okay, mom, well, I'm finna go. You know, I'll see you later. And, you know, kiss my mom. I leave out the house. So I'm on my way. I'm driving down the street, maybe a probably not even a mile from their house. There's an overpass that goes over the expressway. So I'm driving. And as I'm going over the expressway, my dad is sitting on the rail on the bridge and he's out of it, you know. And so I see him and I so I get to the the bottom of the bridge uh, and I pull in. I park the car, get out. I walk up the bridge and I'm like, dad, like, what, you know, what are you doing or whatever? And like I said, he, he's out of it. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, and so I'm like, come on, you know, I, I get him, go down here. I put him in the car. I drive him back to the house and I'm like, mom, you know, tell my mom, mom, you know, dad was up just sitting on the bridge, you know, whatever. Um, so there was another time. Could have been years later a year or so later, whatever, same scenario, sort of, I go to the house and I, at this time they're, they moved. My mom and dad bought a house. So they bought a house, they moved. So now they're living somewhere else. And I come to the house. I'm like, Hey mom, you know, same scenario. How you doing? What's going on? Where's dad? You know? And she's like, I don't know. He, he left. I don't know where he went, whatever. And so I said, well, how's the drinking? You know, and so we're having this conversation, like, how how is that going? And she's like, you know, it's times where the liquor store is literally maybe about five blocks straight down the street from mm-hmm. now. And she's like, he he will, you know, on those days that he drinks, because, again, he, he would go through these things. It would be days he didn't drink at all. And it was days that he would drink the whole day. And she's like, he would go walk to the liquor store. He would buy whatever he's going to drink. And but before he make it home, he's already tore, you know, and it's been time where he's passed out like in somebody's front yard. And the police, you know, the person called the police. Hey, it's a man laying in my grass. Police come get him, see his uh, identification, brings him home, you know. And so we're having this conversation. I'm like, man, OK. And so I'm like, all right, mom, you know, I'm finna go, you know, whatever, whatever. I'll see you later. I walk out the door. There's a police car at the end of the driveway. 
And so I'm like, okay. I walk to the car and then like, do you know Ernest James? So I'm Ernest, I'm junior. Do you know Ernest James? Yes, I know Ernest James, you know. And so they get my dad out the car to like, you know, just bringing him home or whatever. And so, I, you know, help him in the house or whatever. But from, like I said, when, when we came back from Arizona at that time, seven, eight years old, to the point where that day I probably was 25, yeah. 25, 26 at that time. So this has been a struggle these all these years. Um, this has been a struggle with my dad. This has been a struggle with my family. Definitely a struggle with my mom, who's been there the longest through all of this. Um, so my mom ends up getting sick. We didn't even know she was she was sick at the time and she ended up getting sick and we didn't know how, how sick she was, you know, just like, cause you know, we all have our ups and downs, you know, yeah. and whatever. And so it, it wasn't uncommon that she would get sick every now and then, but then she would bounce back and everything be good. Like, okay. But this particular time was a little different. And one of the things my mom always wanted us to do as a family was take a family picture. And this was over the years. Like I said, I'm, I'm at that time, I'm like in my 20s, you know, mid 20s. And we just had never done it. And so she's like, I want us to take this picture or whatever. So she's like, all right, everybody show up on this day. We're going to take, you know, have the, the cameraman's going to come to the house. Everybody just be at the house. We're going to take these pictures. We're like, all right, cool. So we come to the house. We take these pictures, uh, family pictures, the only family pictures we have ever taken. This is maybe like in, November, maybe. Mm -hmm. So this is in November. My mom doesn't get better. We find out in January that she has cancer. Oh, no. Her birthday is in May. She don't make it to her birthday. That's hard. So she don't make it to her birthday. Um, And, you know, we're, we're all dealing with that. But to go back to the reason why I bring all of that up, after that, years later, a couple years later, uh, my dad moved out of the house where where they stayed. Um, at this time, we're all all the kids are grown and kind of moved out. And he's like, I don't need a whole house, you know, it's just me. Your mom's not here, and so he has a, an apartment. And so I go to the apartment to to visit my dad. At this time, my dad has stopped drinking, um, and. We've always, our family, especially with my mom, has always been big on pictures, uh, which is why she pressed so much for us to take the family picture. Always been big yeah. on pictures. And so there are a couple uh, photo albums on his coffee table. So I pick up this photo album and I'm looking through it and it's pictures of him and my mom doing like all kind of stuff and all kind of spaces and places they've been. And I'm like, when did you guys do this? You know what I mean? Like, when did That's you amazing. Here, you know? And so in the talking with him, I realized that God had allowed him to finally beat this thing in enough time where he had years with my mom. And forgive me if I get choked up. Absolutely. It's understandable. But he had years with my mom to spend with her doing all kinds of amazing things. Um, and to this day, 
he now he he does have a drink every now and then, but still he still has beat it. And now it's been my mom. I think my mom's been uh, gone a little a little over ten years now, and so that would be these ten years and maybe at least five years before. So I would say like fifteen years now that he's been you know sober and. It was he he didn't go to a he has over the years go went to a you know AA meetings and stuff. Uh growing up we did. But when this happened, it was just like one day again, why I say, you know, that it was it was divine that he just decided that was it. And it was just like that. And so he had these years with my mom. You know, of course, I like I said, I was grown and married myself, so I wasn't there. But they had these years where they were able to enjoy, you know, just them again and the, and the fullness and the wholeness of them. You know, not yeah. her always looking out for him because, you know, now he's drunk again or whatever. So they had these years um, where they had that. And um, and that's why I say God bless them with that. And even with us as a family with the the um the family portrait what we all took that's the only family portrait we have and i think even with that was god putting it on my mom's heart to really push for it not knowing that a good 5 6 months later she wouldn't be here you know so yeah so that was my dad um with my brother my brother is a what i call a, a functioning alcoholic so he does work and everything so he can, you know, mm-hmm. he functions as usual. But he when he gets home from work, you know, some days it's like you, you got a whole 12 pack and by the morning that whole 12 pack is gone. You know, so he does have those. But again, he's like a functioning alcoholic. He He's not, you know, yeah, that is my dad was, but still too much, you know, in my eyes anyway. <laughs> it's hard because sometimes we want to, you know, put ourselves in front of it and be like, this is, this is what you need to do. But at the same time, like, that's not what we want. Like, and that's what, um, and if we don't perceive it being an issue, why would we make a change? And some, it's really easy to fall into like the autopilot stage too, but it's amazing to me how, you know, you, when you talk about your dad and obviously it's a, we're talking about a very serious topic and there's so many layers and context, but one thing that is so prevalent throughout is, you know, it's more than just the drink, right? Like it's the person, the actions around it. Yes. Like this, it sucks. This is terrible. Like, but it's, a lot of times when we look into what we see and we're like, Oh, they're an alcoholic. Oh, they're an alcoholic. We use these labels to other people and we don't see like the, the hurt, the everything that's around it, but not just that, like who they affect the, the smile that was on your face. Like, you know, that's not something that um, people think about when that, when we talk about these things. So you know, just how the beauty that you, you know, you put through that, like, especially to get through, like, this is not about, you know, talking about somebody who is, you know, um, 
I'm for lack of a better word, somebody who's trash or somebody who's terrible person. Like, no, he's a really good person. And not just that he's my dad, like, please understand. Like, so I think people hearing that side and understanding the meaning behind it is so important because we lose sight of how we're all connected and how much everybody means. And then that leads us to be like, not my problem. And you just move on. Right. But really you put that arm around somebody and you say, it's all right. You know, when you're ready, I'm here. Yeah. But you got to be ready. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's kind of uh, the thing with my brother. Um, he did have a, a bad accident one day. Um, and again, this is just, just God covering, you know, my family. Um, he was drinking and was, shouldn't have been driving in the first place. And what he was and he's driving and he loses control of the car. He hits a, a light pole, um, manages to get out of the car. And, you know, the ambulance came, the police came, uh, his girlfriend at the time came and his car is totaled, you know, and they're like, you're lucky to even make it out of that car. And one for one thing, but then you're also lucky that you made it out and you're not hurt. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. one thing to make it out, but you could have made it out with a broken arm, or, you know, but you actually made it out with nothing wrong with you. And even to show even more how he was blessed in that situation, the police officer who was there and was questioning him, you know, obviously knew he was drunk, but he was like, I'm gonna show you some grace. I'm gonna let your girlfriend take you home. And we'll just, you know, report it as a abandoned vehicle or whatever. I don't know how Mm -hmm. he worked it out, but he allowed my brother to go home, you know. And so from that day, you know, my one thing that did change is my brother like, okay, I'm not drinking if I'm going somewhere. Um, So that did stop the drinking and driving, but it didn't lessen the drinking because it was like, nah, just drink at home, you know. (laughs) And I think the harder the harder thing for a person who is a functioning addict is it's like hey i'm functioning so as long as i can do the functions that i'm required to do then it's okay because this is like my reward to myself for doing what i'm supposed to do and so sometimes it's a little harder to get through to them because it's like hey you could be like i i can be like hey you're drinking too much and then he's like well why do you say that because i've done this and i've went to work and I'm on time and I do my job and I come home and I take care of my kids and whatever, whatever. So I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And this is how I choose to reward myself, you know? And so sometimes it's harder to get through, you know, to a functioning addict than it is to one who's, who's hit rock bottom. So that's kind of what my brother is. (laughs) Yeah. It's all about that catalyst. Like we, if, we continue going through life. Like what is the reason to change? You got to get that catalyst. You know, sometimes it's another person. Sometimes it's watching something that finally hits you in a certain way. Sometimes it's, you know, that rock bottom that you talked about, but there's a, always a catalyst before the change. It's just a matter of what is that catalyst? How bad does it have to get before it happens? And, um, you know, there's so many different, 
there's so many different theories and methods that people use, but really what it comes down to is, do we want the help? And that's unfortunately, right? Because we're stubborn as humans. We are stubborn. But one thing, one thing I like that you said uh, a few minutes ago, and it definitely uh, plays a chord in, in, in what I do or what we do, because we, we're in similar uh, genres, um, is to be able to see the person behind the thing. Yeah. You know? um, so maybe just for me, uh, being able to see my dad and know who my dad is and to be able to know just uh, authentically that he's not this, you know, this version that he is on the inside, he's a whole nother person. Mm-hmm. And so me having that example is easier for me to do the work that I do and be able to help people and reach out to people and not necessarily look at them for the the results of the circumstances that brought them to that point, but are able to look past that and say, okay, let's deal with the core problem. Because addiction is never just about the drinking or the drug or whatever. It's always something behind it. It's always a, a, a uh, experience of something that that person may not have uh, been able to digest you know, mm-hmm. and, and come through on their own. And so they're looking for a way to cope with it, you know, and then that's what leads it. But it's, it's never just the thing itself because we all, we all grew up in, you know, just as kids going to the supermarket and there's owls of alcohol, you know, and if it was just the Absolutely. point where it was just that, then as a kid, we'd be like, oh, give me a drink, you know, but it's not. It's when something happens that, we're not able to process and we start looking for ways to process this thing that has happened to me and we're looking for vices. And so that's where it comes in at. that's where addiction comes in at, you know, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's being overly uh, sexual, you know, and you promiscuous and, you know, you have uh, men and women who sleeping around and things uh, and it's like, oh, you just want to be, you know, that kind of guy that's sleeping with everybody. But like, no, this is a guy who was molested when he was little. And so he's trying to figure out his sexuality because of this thing that happened to him. And the way he deals with it is trying to fill as much of that void as he can with with sex. You know what I mean? So it's, it's always a story behind the thing. Yes. And we have to get to the point just as a people in general. Um, where we know that and recognize it. So when we see someone in a in a hurting position, we see someone that's dealing with addiction or whatever it is that they're dealing with, that we are able to look past that face and be able to search the inside of that person and, and help them find that core problem, the root of it, and deal with that. And once that root is taken care of, then the roses and the flowers that bloom and press through that outer shell of addiction or whatever it is that has, you know, became their face will be able to break through. And then you're able to see, you know, the real person um, free of whatever that thing was that was holding up. But yeah, I think that um, that's the, the thing that we need to do to be able to look past that and see the person and deal with the person and not necessarily that deal with the addiction, but more importantly, deal with the person 
Because once you allow that person to grow and gain strength, then that person can help you deal with the addiction. And there's a better chance that, you know, together you'll be able to get them free from whatever it is that they're, they're dealing with. That is, that is the key. That is for sure the way to approach everything that has to do with this. Um, I mean, the, you know, and it's, it's escaping, you know, numbing You're like you said, filling that void. Like what is, what is that internal need that we're trying to fill with an external thing? And sometimes we do it with goals, right? If I get to this much money, these problems will go away. If I get this job, my life will be better. If I get this, like I'll be able to have pride in myself. And I'm speaking from experience because I am also like working on this right now to stop putting my internal needs, understand that I need to talk to myself and say, this is an internal need. I'm putting it on an external thing. I need to stop that because if I can't fulfill what I need internally from myself, that externally, whether it's from another person, whether it's a goal, whether it's a thing, it's not going to fill anything either. Right, right. And that's where it starts. So yeah, that was absolutely beautiful what you said. So Ernest, if people uh, want to keep up with you, where can they where can they check you out? Uh, definitely, I want you guys to uh, look me up on YouTube uh, at The Deal to Heal with E. James Podcast. You got to make sure you put that with E. James Podcast because there are uh, other Deal to Heal podcasts. Um, but it's Deal to Heal with E. James Podcast um, on YouTube. Definitely, because I want to definitely get those numbers up also. But um, you can also find me on Facebook, on Instagram, still on the Deal to Hill with E. James podcast. Um, on on uh, TikTok, I'm on TikTok also. So um, I'm working on my I'm working on my uh, website. I'm working on my website because again, I'm podcasting, speaking, uh, and I'm writing. So I'm working on my my website which should be out be up soon um so and that's uh deal heal fulfill.org so deal heal fulfill.org um and that'll be my website that I'm I'm working on putting out also I'm, I'm very uh happy with uh to recently have launched my uh ebook website where there have I have three books three ebooks that is out now um one is called forgiving me the four steps to self forgiveness. Um, one is called from males to men, which is a uh, male mentoring uh, book for young, young men going into manhood. And then there is a book that is very close to my heart, which is called um, the four core, which is the four core principles that every daughter should get from her father. And so um I, again, I mentioned earlier, I am a fatherless daughter advocate. There's a whole story behind that that we can talk about some other time. Um, but that's uh, very dear to me. And so to be able to write that book for the fatherless daughters um, that I am an advocate for, to let them know at its core, the four values that you should be receiving from your father and not just your father, because as I explained, um, those four core values that you look for from your father uh, as a woman, you need them throughout your life. It just transfers where you're getting it from. So as a young girl, you're getting it from your father. But when you find a mate or a husband 
then you still need those values, but now you're looking for it to come from him. And so, um, yeah, so those books are available at ebooksbyejames.com. Um, that's ebooksbyejames.com. So again, you can look me up. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, definitely YouTube under Deal to Heal with E. James Podcast. And if you want to support me with my works, uh, ebooks by ejames.com and that's where you can find me all right awesome so thank you for tuning in this has been the untapped keg podcast podcast where we explore the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you could take something and implement it into your life you can check us out on youtube youtube.com slash untapped keg podcast is on all audio platforms and hit us up on social media uh we have a new community page that's going to be coming out untappedkeg.com slash community uh find out how you can be a part of the show so go there become a member you can talk anonymously leave some tips and then you can find out how you can be a part of the show and i'm really excited for what we have going on there um and with that let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today because at least if we don't make it we tried have a great week everybody i love you